Welcome to the LifePoint Palm Bay Sermon Podcast. We encourage you to make copies of this message, but please don't charge for those copies. If you'd like to know more about LifePoint Palm Bay, please visit LifePointPB.com. Yesterday morning, about 5.30, I woke up with my heart pounding and breathing heavy and just, just you know, that feel. You know how when you wake up from a dream and it's the dream is very real and your body is physically responding to that dream? Well, that happened to me yesterday morning. I woke up. You say, well, was it a nightmare? In a sense, it was a nightmare, but not probably the way you're thinking. They say that, that the greatest fear, the number one fear that most people have is public speaking. And the interesting thing about this is that when you're talking about uh, speaking in public, when I talk to you, I, there's no fear in that. Um, and generally when I'm talking about the Lord and just things that he's called me to do, I don't usually have a lot of fear. And I used to don't have as much. Sometimes there's still a little um, heightened. Um, there's a sense of heightened anticipation maybe, but not really fear. But this was me speaking, but I was, I was speaking at the State of the Union in my dream. <laughs> All right. Now you know why I was afraid. Now, the, the funny thing about this, I was not the president, so why? But it's a dream. It doesn't have to make sense, all right? I wasn't the president. Actually, George H.W. Bush was the president. Very nice man. I talked to him for a little bit in my dream. Very nice man, all right? And I could not for the life of me figure out what I was doing there, but it, everybody kept saying, you're on in a few minutes, you're on in a few minutes. And I'm thinking, what am I supposed to say? And so I'm trying, I'm going through this, and I'm trying to work out an outline in my head, and I should say this, and what do you say at the State of the Union, especially if you're not the president? And, um, and I'm going all this, and so I get, I get out there onto the floor, uh, and there in the Capitol building, and the lights, I come out of you know the doorway, the lights are all shining, I get up to start to speak. Well, first of all, before I get there, I have this microphone, but I get caught up in it. Plus, I'm wearing a coat and tie, which I don't do much anymore, so I'm already fussing with all of that. And then the mic gets hung up, and I step on it. It yanks down on my tie. And all of this is happening as I walk out. And then I stand up, and I can't even say my name. I'm trying. You know, Have you ever had that in your dream where you're trying to talk and you can't even do it? By the way, if you need a Bible, would you wave at these ushers? Because they're patiently <laughs> waiting. All right? And so... Um, so anyway, I get out and, and then nothing comes out and my voice is cracking and I'm trying so hard to speak, but you can't sleep, speak because you're asleep. And then I wake up and my heart's just pounding and I'm, and I'm laying there thinking about Lord, that is such a weird dream. I don't understand any of it, but what made it so frightening was this thought of having to speak in front of people and not know what it is that you're supposed to say. This morning, I don't have that fear. I know exactly what I'm supposed to say this morning. I am here this morning to give a eulogy. You think, what? Are you? I am here this morning to give a eulogy. Look with me in Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Three times in verse 3. You see the word blessed or blessed. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. In English, it's some form of blessed. It's blessed, 
blessed blessing. But in the Greek, it's it's the word that we logato, but literally it is the word we use for eulogy. To it literally means the word means to speak well, to speak well of what we do at a eulogy. You, I, maybe you've been to a funeral or memorial service where somebody got up and delivered a eulogy and talked badly about the person that was dead, but I've never seen that. Even if, even if they weren't necessarily. Um, Maybe their life was not as commendable as you would like to see. Even there, you try to find nice things, good things to say about that person. That's part of the eulogy. We have this word used three times. Bless. Eulogy. Be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has eulogized us in Christ with every spiritual eulogy. You think that doesn't make any sense. But it really does. And I'm going to show you why. Because what comes after that Remember, I told you when we started this in Ephesians, Paul does not take a breath from verse 3 to verse 14. It's one long run-on sentence. He lays out for them, there's a eulogy, there's a blessing that has been pronounced to a, a good word that's spoken to us. There's a good word about him and who he is, about God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, because all three are mentioned in this passage. There's a good word about them, praise that goes to them. Sometimes this is translated praise. There is praise that goes to them, a eulogy, a speaking well of them. But he also says he's eulogizing us. You say, wait a second, we're not dead. Actually, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We have been made alive in Christ Jesus. And so the eulogy that he speaks over us is his good word to us that makes us alive when we were dead. As we go through this, I want you to see it. If you take notes or you want a, a title for this, because Nathan always asked me for one on Monday, and I'm not good with titles, but I have one in advance this week, Nathan, by the way. All right? Ten Reasons to Remember. That's our title. Ten Reasons to Remember. We're eulogizing, if you will, the Lord. Now, the neat thing about this is he died, but he rose again. He's not still dead. But as we give this eulogy this morning, because Scripture says in Matthew, Jesus said, every time you come to the Lord's table, remember me. I'm going to give you 10 reasons to remember this morning. Look with me. Starting in verse 3. Number 1, if you write in your Bible, you can put a number 1 next to this. If you write in your Bible, it has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Blessed us in Christ with every, every spiritual blessing. That's number 1. Blessed us. He has spoken His good word over us, and when He speaks, He brings life. When he spoke a word, all of creation came into existence. He spoke a word and you and I came into existence. He speaks a word. He says, I have blessed. I have you. I have spoken a good word and I have taken care of all that's necessary so that you can have every spiritual blessing. Not just some of them, not just a few, every single one. That's number one. Look at number two with me. Next verse. Even as he chose, that's number two. If you write, put two right there. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Even as he chose us. Do you know what I've discovered in my own life and in watching others through the years? There are two great overwhelming things as human beings that we seek for. All of us. We want these two things. We want safety and we want significance. 
Every human being I've ever met wants those two things. We want safety. We want to feel safe. And we want to think that our life actually matters. That we matter. We want significance. If you understand that about people, sometimes when they're irritating you, frustrating you, getting on your last nerve, if you stop and think probably underneath whatever's happening right now is a desire for safety and significance. One or both. He chose us. I don't know what will make you, there is nothing that will make you more safe, more secure, and more significant in this life than the revelation and belief that He chose you. He chose you. You didn't pick Him. He picked you. You didn't somehow figure it out one day and work hard enough and think, okay, Lord, I, I think what you're saying is good. And I think you are probably, you know, it's probably worthwhile and meaningful for me to agree with this and believe this. So I choose you. He said, no, John 15, 16, Jesus says, you did not choose me. I chose you. I chose you. I went after you. You know, in my life, in my journey with the Lord, there has been a lot of self-effort. There's been a lot of misunderstanding. There's been a lot of wrong thinking. A lot of me trying to, to, to please Jesus. To make sure I do what's pleasing to Him. And it's not wrong to want to please Jesus. Don't, don't hear me say that. But it always came from this place of, I have to do something. I have to make this happen. I have to be good enough. I have to work hard enough. I have to be disciplined enough. The revelation of the fact that he chose me when I was not worthy of being chosen brings a safety and a security and a significance that nothing else in this life has ever brought. Nothing. I began to recognize this in people as I was. I grew up around many people who were in the same boat I was in. Same teaching, same thought process. So we were all in the same boat trying to work hard and do so so we could be pleasing to the Lord, so we could do the right thing. But in my journey, every once in a while, I'd come across people who seemed to be living life differently. They seemed to be freer than I was. They seemed to have joy that just bubbled up that I didn't have. They, they seemed to really talk to God as if He was listening and relate to Him in a way as though it really was a relationship. And I remember when I began to see this, in fact, I remember the first person I ever saw it in. And it was strange to me. I thought, what is wrong with them? At the same time, there was something stirring me and says, I don't know what it is, but whatever that is, I want it. I, why don't I have that? And God allowed me to continue. I'd run across people and I'd see this. As I've gone back through the years and I look at these individuals and I think about when I got to know them, do you know the common denominator that I found in every one of their lives was a belief, a revelation and a belief, an unswerving, unwavering belief of the 10 things that we're going to talk about, especially the fact that they were chosen. They were chosen. If you do not believe that, if you do not have the revelation of that, that you were chosen when you were, when there was nothing good in you to choose, but you were still chosen. I shared this illustration when I was preaching a few weeks ago. We all know that feeling of being out there 
on the playground or with other kids and they're choosing up teams for whatever it is and you're not chosen or you're the last one and somebody says, we can't play until somebody takes Troy or put your name in there. That's awful, isn't it? It's awful. And of course, the really athletic ones, the great ones, the popular ones, they always, they're already chosen. They were chosen first. So Jesus comes to me and to you. The one that everybody else says, well, I got to take him because we can't play. And Jesus comes and says, no, I pick you first. I pick you first. I want you on my team. That's number two. Look with me at the next verse. Number three goes right next to he predestined us. Actually, it goes on. Really, the beginning of verse five starts at the end of verse four in love. Oh, let me back up because I've left out some really good stuff here. He chose us in him. By the way, if you underline in your Bible, you would underline every time you see in him in chapter one of Ephesians. In him, in him, in him, in Christ, in him. Because all of this is possible in him. If you're not in him, you don't have any of this. In him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, which is really the beginning of verse 5. It's, if they put it at the end of verse 4, it's the beginning of verse 5. In love, he predestined. That's number 3. So if you're writing there, number 3. He predestined us. You say, oh, Troy, don't go there. This whole thing about predestination. I mean, churches have been divided over this whole issue, which is a sad, sad thing because Jesus did not give this doctrine. God did not give this doctrine to divide churches. He gave it to bring about a sense of security. He gave it to bring about a sense of how good and gracious he really is. It was never meant to divide. The problem with our the division that comes over this doctrine is we don't understand it. We cannot comprehend it. We can't comprehend a God who is so gracious to do this. And so it becomes divisive. If we quit fighting over is it this or that and simply believe God is all of it, that he predestined and he elected and he foreordained, and he also said whosoever will may come. And he also said, I want you. I, I, I've chosen you. He also said, it's not my will that any perish, but all come to repentance. You say, Troy, those two doctrines don't line up. They don't in your mind and my mind, but they do in the mind of God. They do in his. He predestined. He worked this out. As a matter of fact, these first three things fall in eternity past. It says before the foundation of the world, before anything was created, before we were even thought about, God was working all this out. For the adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. This is another place you could underline. That happens three or four times in this section of Scripture, to the praise of his glorious grace. It happens in Christ, and the purpose for all of it isn't about you and me. It's about him. Our problem is we are self-centered and self-focused. We were born that way. But when... By the work of the Spirit, I learn to live life that's not centered around self, but to the praise of His glorious grace. I have a freedom and a joy and a purpose and excitement that I've never known before. Look at number four. Actually, let's finish up verse six. To the praise of His glorious grace, which with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. There's in Jesus again, in Him. In Him, verse seven, we have, number four, redemption. 
We talked about this at length. I'm not going to re-preach it to you. But literally, we were slaves who were bought. We were on the auction block, and he came and bought us. And then he set us free. Redemption through his blood. Number five, the forgiveness of our trespasses. That's the fifth one. The forgiveness of our trespasses. He not only set me free, but then he forgave me for all the stuff that I did while I was in bondage. And all the stuff that I did as a result of that bondage thinking. And all of the stain and all the guilt, everybody, he forgave everybody. He not only set me free, but on top of that, he forgave. All of my sin, past, present, future, all of it. Because when Jesus died on the cross, it was all future sin. I hadn't committed any of it yet. Matter of fact, even if you were born and I were born and didn't commit any sin, which is an impossibility, but even if we did, we would still be born in sin. That's what Scripture says. He died for it before I was even born. He paid for it. He goes on. According to the riches of His, number six, grace. But not just any old grace. Grace that he lavished. Lavished. He gave super abundantly. I was listening to Chuck Swindoll and he used this illustration. I thought it was such a great illustration. Have you ever been watching a sporting event? Usually football games are the, are the ones where you sit the most. And the winning team, a couple of players grab that big old five-gallon cooler of Gatorade and they go tracking down their hunting. They're like, they're like heat-seeking missiles looking for the coach. And they're going to get him in. Usually at the worst time, he's trying to do an interview or he's whatever, and he gets just doused with that Gatorade and that ice. That's the picture. He lavished. He didn't give you a little bit. He didn't say, you know, I'm going to give you a little grace. I'm going to sprinkle you a little bit with it. I'm going to put a little salt and pepper. No, no. He lavished. He dumped it. He poured it out on you and me. He lavished in grace. What is his grace? It's who he is. It's his very character. It's his very nature. I want you to stop thinking about grace just in terms of getting saved from your sin. Because it's so much more than that. How many of you grew up in a home where you said grace? All right. You know what I'm talking about? So before you have meal, we called it saying grace. Why do we call it that? We were praying, right? That's what we were doing. But we called it saying grace. Why? Because there's a realization that everything that I have in this life, I have because of him. If I'm breathing, I breathe because he gives me breath. If I have my mental faculties, I have it because he gives it to me. If I have any resources, if I have any talent, if I have any ability, if I'm able to walk across this stage, I'm able to do it because he gives me strength to do so. Everything. If I have food to eat, I have it because he provided it for me. So when we say grace, we're basically acknowledging, Lord, I don't have anything without you. You say, well, Troy, I'm pretty smart. I figure things out. No, you're not. You're not. I'm not trying to be offensive. I'd like to think I'm smart, but I'm not. Or maybe I am, but not in comparison to him. One of my children, who will remain nameless, <laughs> we were having this conversation recently, and they were dissing on one of, their, one of my other children and how they don't do things in maybe the most in the best way, all right? And they were talking about that. And so I pointed out to this child who was talking about this other child, 
I said, you know, what about this, this, and this in your life? Well, yeah, but it's still not as bad as this one and, and what they do. And I said, you've got a problem, though. It's the same problem we all have. We like to find other people that are, we think, less than us, and we can compare ourselves to them, and now I feel better. If you want to make a comparison, the Scripture says you compare yourself to Jesus. Compare yourself to him. He said, well, I don't want to, I'd rather compare myself to my sibling. And it's like, yeah, I know you would. We all would. No. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith. You want to compare how smart you are? Just compare yourself to Jesus. How gifted or talented you think or how wise you are. You want to compare yourself to someone compared to them, compared to him. His grace is lavished on us. Just poured out. In all wisdom and insight, he pours this out. Verse 9, number 7. Making known to us the mystery of his will. What we could not know but desperately needed, he revealed to us. He made known the mystery of his will to us. According to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, in heaven and things on earth. We, I preached through this in a previous message, but this is his will. This is his plan. This is the mystery that he has revealed to us that he wants to bring everything together in him. Everyone and everything together in him. Number eight, obtained in him we have obtained an inheritance. Obtained an inheritance is number eight. He's made provision for you. He's given you an inheritance. What is that inheritance? Everything that is his is now yours. That's a whole lot better than your response. All right? I'm going to say it again. Because your response was puny. All right? Puny. Everything that is his is now yours. It's now yours. Yes. That's better. That's better. You need to meditate on this. You need to ask for revelation of this. Jesus said, I'm the firstborn of what? Of many brethren. All right. I started all this, but they're coming along and what's mine is theirs. What's mine is theirs. We live like paupers when we are rich beyond our imagination. Again, spiritually speaking, now we... This is not this particular section of scripture isn't applying to material, physical wealth. He's saying spiritually, I have done all these things for you, which quite honestly are the greatest riches. Because they're the riches that pertain to who I am inside. That's what those are the most important. Have obtained inheritance, having been predestined. There it is again, according to the purpose of him who works all things according to counsel of his will so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. There it is again. He's doing all this for his praise, his glory, because of who he is. In him, in Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you heard it because he gave you revelation of it, and then you believed it. You received it. You responded to it. You were, what happened when you did that? Number nine, you were sealed. Boom. He put his seal on it, his wax and his emblem. 
He sealed you. Scripture says He did it with the promised Holy Spirit. He sealed you. He said, you are mine. And nobody can have you. You're mine. And I'm not going to throw you away. The seal is permanent. You don't lose it. I'm yours, Lord. Forever. I've been sealed. Nobody has authority to break this seal. Except Him. And He won't. Sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Who is the guarantee. Some say the down payment. You could think of the picture of an engagement ring. It's a promise of more to come. It's, it's the first step in much, much more. He says the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Again, the last of the verse, to the praise of his glory. This entire section of scripture is a eulogy. It's a eulogy. It's a declaration of who God is, what Jesus has done for you and me, and also the good word that he has spoken over our lives and into our lives. This is why we take the Lord's Supper. Why? You can do it quickly. Matter of fact, you ought to go through this regularly. That's the reason I encourage you to mark this. If you don't write in your Bible, then do it somewhere separate. That you're blessed in Him with every spiritual blessing. You've been chosen. He chose you. He predestined you. He redeemed you. He bought you. He literally bought you out of slavery. Forgave you of all your trespasses. He poured out His grace lavishly on you, making known to you the mystery of His will. He gave you an inheritance which is incorruptible, undefiled, and does not fade, doesn't pass away. That's what Scripture says. The inheritance is everything that is His is now yours. He sealed you with the promised Holy Spirit, and then He guaranteed you He's not done. He's not done. This is why sometimes if do you remember how many of you remember before you came to Christ and you had that person or persons in your life that, that irritated the punk out of you because they wanted so desperately for you to come to Christ and, and you weren't there yet. How many of you remember that in your own life? You remember being un, being lost, but you had this person, and they you know why they wanted it so desperately? Because they got a glimpse of what it is to be in Christ. And they wanted it more than you did. It's why sometimes in our zeal, we can get pushy. But remember, nobody pushed you into the arms of Jesus. He revealed Himself to you, and He drew you in. Nobody forced you. Nobody pushed you. When you force feed someone, they always gag. Always. I've been tempted. I have actually been more than tempted. I have succumbed to temptation at times and tried to force feed people. Tried to push. I don't do that anymore by God's grace. I won't do it. But I will pray. I will cry out. I will present. I will encourage. And I will trust God you can do what I cannot do. You may be here today and you think these are just words on a page and I understand that. Until He reveals it to you. Until you take that step and say, I believe. He, he opens your eyes. He stirs something within you and says, come to me. Trust me. Believe me. He says, matter of fact, it says in this passage, all these are ours because we believed in Him. You take that step of faith. And you say, Troy, I've seen Christians 
And they just are awful people. And that is true sometimes. I represent that. I mean, there are times as Christians, we can be awful people. I don't like this bumper sticker, but it is true. I'm not perfect, just forgiven. It almost seems like an excuse for bad behavior, but you know what? It is true. We're not perfect, but we are forgiven. Maybe you're sitting there thinking, I've met too many Christians and they just don't seem to live up to what you're talking about. I get it. But you're not believing in them. You're believing in Jesus. You say, well, I've been around hypocrites. I have too. But here's the truth, the hard reality. We've all been hypocrites at one time or another. We've all played the game in some form or fashion. We pretend to be one thing when we're not. I don't want to allow someone's hypocritical behavior to keep me from coming to the one who is never hypocritical, who is never false. He never lies. He never portrays one face and then believes or is something else. I want you to know my Jesus. That's all I want. Whether you are lost this morning in the sense that you don't know him, or whether you know him, you have believed, but you still don't really know him. Do you know what I mean by that? I think that there is, I spent much of my Christian life with an understanding of salvation, having prayed the prayer and believed that he would save me from my sin, but I didn't understand what this relationship really was supposed to look like, or the fact that all of these things that he promised and said are true in my life, that when he reveals them and I believe them and walk in them, I could experience love and joy and peace and gentleness and faithfulness and meekness and self-control and all these things that he lists. They could be mine. I could experience them. I could know them. I love living right now. I love it. I love life. Not because it's so wonderful. Not because it doesn't have problems. But because for the first time in my 52 years of existence, I am beginning really to enter into what it means to be in Him. And I'll tell you, it's awesome. It's incredible. I'm not perfect in it, just like you're not perfect in it. But I'm growing in it. I'm learning. I'm receiving and believing constantly. There's two things that are going to be required for you to do this. Whether you're lost this morning and don't know Jesus or whether you know him, whether you believe, whether you've prayed and received him, but you want to grow more in him. There are two things that you're going to have to believe. There are two things that are going to have to be true in your life. There are two sides of the same coin. Lori and I were talking last night and she said it. And when she said it, I knew it was true. The first is a humility that says, I will let go of my way. Humility. You will not know God without humility. You must humble yourself. Why? Because God resists the proud. He resists them. He stands against them. i got to let go of my way. You have to do it to get saved. You have to do it to grow in that salvation. You must let go of your way. Your agenda, your plan, having it on your terms. By the way, I'll let you in on a little secret. The happiest I've ever been in my life is when I let go of my own agenda, my own way. You may not believe that. I didn't believe it when I was younger, but it's true. 
flip side of the coin is you must have faith. You must believe what you cannot see. And you must take steps based on what you hear him say, even if you don't know how it all turns out. You must let go and you must receive. You have to do both. I want you to bow your heads with me. This morning, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. Everyone who is a believer in Jesus Christ, who's a follower of him, is invited to be part of this. But if you're not a believer, not a follower in him, today could be the day of salvation for you. I believe it's his desire that it would be the day of salvation for you. The day that you would believe. That you would simply say, Jesus, I see. I see that you really are God. You are the Son of God who died for my sin, redeemed me, bought me out of bondage, forgave my sin, made a way for me. I believe that that's who you are. I believe you chose me. I didn't choose you. I haven't done anything to earn it. I never can do anything to earn it. You just did it because it's who you are. Because you are love. God is love. Contrary to what you may have seen in those who claim to follow him, God is love. And today, you can receive him. You simply say, Jesus, I believe and I receive. I invite you into my life to cleanse me, to wash me, to restore me, to walk with me, to be in me. And Lord, I give you my life. I surrender. I repent. I turn from doing it my own way. And I surrender to you. Now, you don't have to use those exact words. Use your words. But those truths are there. They are necessary. To enter into him, which is where all this is promised. There are two groups in this room today, those in him and those who are not. There are two groups in the whole world, those who are in him and those who are not. If you're in him, all that we talked about this morning, those ten things are true for you. If you're not in him, they're not true for you. Lord Jesus, I pray today for those who would be here and who are wrestling with this. They're struggling. There's some obstacle standing in the way. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would pour out your grace even more than you have, specifically in their heart and life. And they would respond to you. That no one or nothing would stand in the way. That they would know the joy of being yours. 
Lord, I pray right now that they're talking to you right where they are and just tell them, Jesus, I'm yours. I surrender. I repent. I turn away from doing it my own way and I receive you. And Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters here today too. Because I know from personal experience and, and conversations with many that often we can know you, we can be, quote, saved, born again, but really not experience you. Often because we're just believing the wrong thing. So Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters today as I pray for myself, that we would experience what it means to be in you. That we would celebrate as we come to this table and recognize that you have redeemed us and forgiven us and chosen us. You have blessed us. You have predestined us. You have given us an inheritance. You have sealed us. You've given us a guarantee. You've revealed the mystery of your will to us. You have lavished your grace on us. I mean, lavished it. You're not stingy with your grace. I pray, Lord, that we would experience that. We'd know the joy of that. And Lord, as we experience it personally, we would give it to others. Because we cannot give what we have not received. We just can't. So, Lord, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing here today. What you will do in the days ahead. We praise you. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. As we take the Lord's Supper together, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, or even you prayed today and received him, when the elements come around, the bread and the cup, you're welcome. You're invited to participate with us. Even if you're not a member of LifePoint Church, if you know him, you're a member of his body. And you're invited to do that. Uh, we encourage you to do that. Um, if you have questions, when we finish here in a little while, we always have people who are willing to pray with you. If you have questions, we'll talk more about this. I will do that. There are others who will do that for you. It is our desire that you know Jesus and that there's no doubt that you know him. As we take this together today, we celebrate the fact that he died and rose again. And all that he did for us, the 10 reasons that we talked about, we celebrate all of that. As we take the Lord's Supper, we remember him, not just that he died, but all that he did for us in dying and rising again. And what he's doing, by the way, he's doing all that and a whole lot more. That's just one passage of scripture. You know, one that I love that I didn't even share with you this morning in Hebrews 7. He's constantly ever interceding on my behalf. He's always interceding for me. I mean, what he has done and is doing for us is overwhelming. All of that is wrapped up in what we celebrate. And what we remember here, this is joyous. This isn't a funeral. This is a celebration of life. And we invite you to be part of that today.